continuing today. Pastor Bert's been doing a series on your life you choose. And if you've been sitting under that teaching, you know it's, it's really, really good. And it's really, really effective. It's really, really true. So I don't, <clears throat> I don't suppose to really take his place and to, to preach like he does or anything like that. But I have a message that goes with your life you choose. And the name of this message is kind of a subtitle to that is Decision Determines Destiny. Decision determines destiny. And if, I just want you to think about that statement for a minute. The choices that we make on a day-to-day -day basis really t determine the direction of our lives. And Pastor Bert's been talking about uh, how we have the opportunity to choose what our life is going to be like. And one of the primary ways that we choose is by what we say. By what we say. We're going to talk about that some more in a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know about you, but if you've ever looked back on your life, and really, well, I'm 82 years old, so i got a lot to look back on, and some of you don't have that much to look back on, but uh, over time in my life, I've looked back on my life and, and wondered, you know, how I ever got to where I was. And... Uh, sometimes we think that where we are today is a result maybe of our family, you know, what we've inherited, our genes and all that. And sometimes we think it's because of our environment. Maybe we grew up in a bad place or in a bad family. Sometimes we think it's our circumstances, you know. I went to work for this company and they didn't treat me right and, you know, all those kinds of things. And sometimes we blame, blame people. Sometimes we blame our family, our mother, our father, our brothers, sisters. You know, maybe the genes that we got weren't too good, and we blame that for where we are. But that's really not the case. Where we are today is the sum total of the choices that we've made in our lives. Some of our choices are good, some of our choices are not so good. And so when you add and subtract the good and the bad, you end up with where you are today. And so I want to talk a little bit about that, but first I want to quote a guy named Stephen Covey. And he was a motivational speaker and an author and all those kinds. He's no longer with us, but... I wanted to read you a statement that I read in one of his books that has stuck with me for probably 25, 30 years. He said, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. I just want you to think about that because that's the process that we go through. We all, we, well, every action starts with a thought. And Pastor Burt made the statement, <clears throat> I can't remember if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, that you can't change thoughts with thoughts. 
you can only change thoughts with words. If you don't believe it, try thinking along a train of thought and then try thinking about something else to counteract whatever that train of thought is. I encourage you to try that because I can tell you it doesn't work. I've tried it many, many times and it just doesn't work. So if you want to change your actions, you have to change your thoughts. And the only way you can change your thoughts is by what you say. So what you say leads to the actions in your life. The actions in your life that are repeated develop a habit. And habits, good and bad, take us where we're going to go. It's a fact. It's not something I dreamed up. It's, it's, it's a scientific fact. And we make dozens, if not hundreds, of choices every day. And the Lord gives us an admonition in Deuteronomy 30, 30.19 that says, uh, and I'll get it in a minute. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, Blessing and cursing. I like blessing. How about y'all? Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choose life. You know, most of us don't really think about uh, choosing life. We, a lot of us just go along in our lives and we kind of take what comes along. And we don't really think about that we're choosing that life, but we are. Pastor Bert's messages, and he's going he's gonna to deal with this a lot more as we go along this series on your life, you, you choose. We have the power that God has given us of free will. And with our free will, we can choose what our life is going to be. Some of us don't really realize this, but God has given us free will, so we're, we're free to choose what happens in our life. What we're not free to choose is the consequences of the choices that we make. They're already programmed into the world, and the consequences of our choices are irrevocable. So... I don't know if you've ever been faced with a situation where you don't know what to choose, so you choose not to choose, which is a choice. You choose not to choose, and that is a choice. That's a little factoid that I thought you might get something wrong. We make big choices, we make little choices. And a lot of times, we don't really think too much about our little choices. It depends what you consider a little choice. Today, every one of us made the choice to get up, get dressed, and come to church. 
for those of us that do it consistently, you know, it's a habit. And we don't even really think about it in our house, whether we're going to get up and get dressed and go to church on Sunday and Wednesday. We don't even think about that. Because it's a choice that we've made a long time ago that is cumulative. And now it's not just a choice, it's a habit. You know there are good habits and bad habits, right? We all know that. Uh, I read somewhere, uh, some kind of scientific study said that it takes 21 days to establish a good habit. 21 days of being consistent about it, or 21 times that you choose it. But it only takes seven days to develop a bad habit. Does that surprise anybody? Doesn't surprise me. Been there both ways, and I know how it works. So, I want to talk a little bit this morning about, well, I got a couple stories I'm going to tell. Actually, I have one story I'm going to tell and one that we're going to study in the Bible. Many years ago, when Sarah and I lived in Kansas, her parents, Sarah grew up in Kansas, I did too, but we were at Sarah's parents' house, and uh, Sarah's parents owned a couple of farms just outside of the town that that they lived in, Garnett, Kansas, big metropolis, Garnett, Kansas. I think it had about 3,500 people, something like that, wasn't it, Sarah? My beautiful wife was a cheerleader for the high school team. Any of you that know her can understand that. She's still a cheerleader. She just doesn't have a uniform. We were there visiting, and so we had two little boys at that time, and uh, we decided me and the little boys decided that we'd go for a drive and we'd go see those two farms. We're, we're country people. We like the country, and so that was a good sightseeing adventure. And, you know, as the crow flies, one farm was just about two miles from her parents' house, and the other one was about 12 miles from her parents' house. So... <clears throat> Our plan was to be gone for maybe 45 minutes or an hour. And we started out, and I thought I knew exactly where to go. Everything started good. I'm telling you, it started good. We got to the first farm with no problem. It was just a little ways out of town. I knew exactly how to get there. But then to go from that farm to the next farm was not something that I was very familiar with. And you got to remember that this is back in the olden days when there were a lot of gravel roads and not many signposts and there were no cell phones and no uh, GPS and none of that stuff. It would have sure come in handy, but we didn't have any of that stuff. So we got a good start and we came to the first intersection and I thought for certain we were to turn right. So we turned right. We drove for about, oh, five or six miles, and it began to seem less and less familiar. So what I should have chosen to do was to turn around and go back 
and go back to the way that I had been to that other farm before because I'd never been to the other farm the way I decided to go. And so to kind of shorten this story, every time we came to an intersection, I had to make a choice. And I'm here to tell you I made a lot of bad choices. <laughs> what was supposed to be a 45-minute or an hour trip turned out to be three hours and 45 minutes. And, you know, we left. We left in the morning uh, about 8.30. And at Sarah's house, they ate dinner. They call it dinner at noon. So, obviously, we weren't back in time for dinner. And they were holding dinner for us, and they couldn't get a hold of us, and we couldn't get a hold of them. And we just kept getting further and further lost because every choice that I made was the wrong choice. So finally, we got, and we were on a lot of gravel roads in this process. Finally, we found a paved road that actually had a road sign. And through that process, we were finally able to get back to Sarah's parents' house. And everybody was upset with us because they were all waiting dinner for us. And everybody was hungry. And it wasn't a good thing. It was not a good thing. So all of our choices have consequences. And I want to... I wanna, I want to get in the book of Ruth in the Bible. In the book of Ruth, you know, there are only two Bibles in the book that are named for women. And one, one is Esther and one is Ruth. And both of those are love stories. And uh, we're going to, well, if I can ever get this phone to do what I want it to do. Bear with me, everybody. Well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, they'll have to put it up on the screen for us. The book of Ruth. <clears throat> Let's begin with uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. This is the land of Israel. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his sons. And before we go to verse 2, well, you can go ahead and put it up there, but I'm not going to read it yet. Because I want to talk about the, the land of Moab. The land of Moab was named after Lot's great Lot's grandson who was Lot's son by incest. You know the story in the Bible where his Lot, after they uh, fled from Sodom and Gomorrah how he had two daughters and they both got him drunk and got him to have sex with them and uh, Moab was a product of that. And he, he, he founded the land of Moab, and that was a very bad place. They didn't know God. They didn't serve God. They, were, they worshipped idols. They were, 
there was a lot of uh, evil sexuality there and all that. So here's Elimelech who makes the decision to take his wife and his two sons to live in Moab because there was a famine in the land. This is a choice. And I have to say that because he knew that history, that it was a choice that he knew better than to make. But he made a worldly choice. Verse 2. <clears throat> the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and, re and remained there. Verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah. <laughs> Opah, Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then Malin and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now, wouldn't you say that Elimelech's choice to do something that God hadn't told him to do, and he actually knew better than to do, had some pretty dire consequences? Every choice has a consequence. And let's look at verse 2, I mean chapter 2, verse 1, verse 14. Oh, well, let me, let me preface this by saying that uh, Naomi made the choice to move her well, her two sons died, so Naomi made the choice that she was going to go back to, to Israel, back to Bethlehem. And so she's conveying this to her two daughters. And uh, they went back. Well, they didn't all go back. The one, uh, the one daughter-in-law chose to stay in Moab. But Ruth decided to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. So, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. I got ahead of myself again. Uh, let's go to, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 14. Then they lifted up the voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, which daughter-in-law do you think made the right choice, made a good choice? 
Orpah decided to stay in the land of Moab, and she had by now been, become acquainted with the God of Israel through Ruth and her husband. But she chose to go to stay with her people and live in that vile community. But Ruth made the choice. You can tell by the way she talked that she now believed in the God of Israel. And she clung to her mother-in-law. And her choice, we'll see as we go along, was eventful. Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. We're talking about Ruth's choices now. 2-1. There is a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And, and she, uh, Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Ruth made a choice to take care of her mother-in-law by going to the fields and gleaning, picking up the loose grain that was left over after the reapers had finished what they were doing. And she received her mother-in-law's blessing to do it. So, then let's go to uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that, you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were, you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you, you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. A choice. She made a choice. You know, this had to be really uncomfortable for this young woman. I'm sure she didn't feel real good about going and presenting herself to this older man, this wealthy older man. And, but she believed in, in, in the God of Israel, and she believed in her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's directions, and she was obedient to that. So she made a good choice. Now let's look at Boaz's choice. Chapter 3, verse 12. And this is, this, is, this is Boaz talking to Ruth after he has discovered her at his feet. Now, it's true that I'm a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives, lie down until morning. 
She lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the, th- to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is, in, that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six evaphs of barley and laid it on her, and then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six epaphs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So all through this process, Ruth is taking care of her mother-in-law, but she is being obedient to the, to the instruction of her mother-in-law. She's not, she's not in any way rebelling against her mother-in-law. So now we go to Boaz's choice. Chapter 3, verse 12. Now it is true, and this is Boaz talking to her. Now it is true that I'm a close relative, however there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night and then morning, if, well, I guess we already did this. Yeah, we already did this, okay. I'm behind myself. Okay, chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren, his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So, Boaz made the choice to take Ruth as his wife. And it wasn't totally a selfish choice. He was making the choice for Elimelech's line to continue. And some of the consequences of Ruth and Boaz's choices were King David. David was Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson. Their son, Ruth and Boaz, had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. The greatest king in the history of Israel came about because of the choices that those two people made. And the real point that I want to make here on this is that often the choices that we make, we don't begin to realize the consequences of those choices until way down the road. I can tell you in my 82 years, I have lived to regret a lot of the choices that I made early in my life. But later in my life, I made some really good ones. 56 years ago, I married my wife. 
that was the second best choice I ever made in my life. The best choice was when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. There's nothing, another, no other choice that compares to that one. So, so I want to get to how we make choices. I think I've got time. I've got lots of time. I'm sure when I list, give you this list that all of you are going to be able to identify with every one of these. How do we make our choices? Often thoughtlessly. If we think it's a trivial choice, we might not even think about it. We may just do it. But often, those choices we consider trivial become important. Often without a goal. You know, you make a choice and you don't really know where it's going to take you, but it's going to take you somewhere. It's kind of like shooting at a target. Without a target, I mean. Shooting without a target. Just shooting. You know, you're not really aiming at anything. You're just shooting. And that's kind of what it's like. Often without signs or guideposts. Uh, let's look at Psalm 119. 105. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the best guidepost that we could ever have. The word. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's a pretty good roadmap. Covers all those areas. And you know what's the best thing about it? It's trustworthy. You can believe in it. If you've been a Christian for very long and you've really sought the Lord and the leadership of His Spirit, you know that, those, that that Scripture is trustworthy. You know that He will lead you. You know that His Word will guide you. You know you can depend on it. You know that it's universal. It covers everything. So, we often make our choices without take, seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. That, those are life verses for me. Um, I have learned, I have learned over time how to depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I've arrived. I don't know of anybody who has. But I have made the effort and the, the research to understand how the Holy Spirit works. And by practice, I have learned to hear His voice. It takes practice. 
It isn't, doesn't, just, doesn't just fall on you. You have to practice it. And it works. So a lot of times we make our choices from pride. You know, the old, I can do it myself syndrome. Well, let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's a little short verse, but boy, is it powerful. It's true. Anybody here ever made a choice through pride? Everybody raise your hand. You've all done it. There's nobody exempt from this or immune from this. We've all done it. The real question is whether we learn from that or not. Often without counsel, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, says, When there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is safety. You know, the, the, the thing about making a choice with pride kind of goes along with this one, you know. If you're proud, you don't seek counsel. Does that resonate with anybody here? I've done it, I'll guarantee you. I don't know of anybody that hasn't. So, this brings me to, you may be thinking in, in yourself, you know, I'm 30 years old or I'm 50 years old or however old you are, and I'm already in this bad place due to the choices that I've made. What do I do? How do I reverse this situation? How do I get my life straight? Well, there's an answer. And the answer is in God's Word. We have to understand that choices are cumulative. If you make a good choice, it's easier the next time you're confronted with a situation to make a good choice again. But the flip side of that is also true. When you make a bad choice, it's easier to make a bad choice the next time. I can testify to that because when I was 14 years old, I made the choice to smoke a cigarette. And as a result of that choice and then thousands of other times that I made the same choice, uh, I became addicted to cigarettes. And I smoked until I was 30 years old. And I was able to quit smoking thanks to my two-year-old son at the time, my son Mike. How many of you know what Tinker Toys are? Well, Tinker Toys were the predecessor to Legos. They were little things that they built stuff with, and they had sticks, little round sticks about the size of my little finger, and they came in different lengths. Well, our son Michael, one day, was walking around our house, our rented house. Uh, we barely had enough money to pay rent, and let alone couldn't buy a house. But anyway, he was walking around our house with one of those Tinker Toys between his fingers like this, and he'd go, I moke like Dad. Isn't that just the way he said it? Yeah. I quit smoking that day. One of the best choices I've made. I never smoked another cigarette for the rest of my life. So, 
There comes a place in everybody's life, if they're in a bad situation, where they can begin to make good choices. By the way, making that choice to not smoke that cigarette that day, had to make that choice over and over and over again until the addiction passed. So if you're in a bad place, a place that you don't want to be and you want to change, you can't expect one good choice to change the entire direction of your life. It won't work that way. You have to begin by making a right choice and then build on that choice to make lots more good choices. So my advice to you, if you want to change your direction, if you want to begin to make good choices, I have five things I want to tell you. One, take a hard look at where you are today and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. Now, it's one thing to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to give you revelation. It's another one, it's another thing to listen. And just because you ask Him one time, don't expect Him to immediately answer you. But I guarantee you, if you keep seeking Him, He will answer. Gloria Copeland made a statement years and years ago that I've never forgotten. And that is, faith and patience are the power twins. So you have to have faith that the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you. But you have to have the patience for Him to determine what's the right time to tell you. Because a lot of times, you're wanting the Holy Spirit to tell you something, but you're not ready to receive it. He's not going to talk to you when you're not ready to receive it. And believe me, He knows when you're not ready. So listen. Number two. Set your goal. Let's go to Matthew 22. Verse 37 to 40. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. So, when I say set your goal, the goal is to obey those verses. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as you begin to exercise toward that goal, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you and tell you what you need to do. Now, that's often, most of the time, I'm not saying it never happened, but most of the time it's not an audible voice that you hear. But it's something in here that you feel, that you know, that you know that the Holy Spirit's talking to you. That the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something. Then the next thing to do is to be obedient to that leadership. Um, number three, seek godly counsel in the leadership of God's word. Go to Proverbs 4, verse 20 to 22. My son, attend to my words. Consent and submit to my sayings. 
Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. They are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. Life and health to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. Uh, number four, check your friendships. This gets a little hard for us sometimes, but it's important. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. I may step on some toes here, but... We've all been in situations where we've befriended or been friendly to people that, with people that aren't the most savory people in the world. And some of us have done that with the thought that we will change them. Usually, it works the other way. They change you. And then we get to thinking, well, if I don't fellowship with them anymore, they're not going to like me. Who will I have for a friend? Here again, let the Holy Spirit and God's Word be your guide. Typically, we are influenced by the people that we hang out with, good or bad. We are. And one of my soapboxes is that there is no substitute. And if you've ever heard me talk, you know, I've heard that you've heard me say this thousands of times probably. There's no substitute for being in church, sitting under the word on a consistent basis and really paying attention to what it's, what's, what's being said. But even in addition to that, being around people of like faith and fellowshipping with those people will have a good, positive influence on you. There's absolutely no substitute in the world for that. I mean, you can read the Bible all day, every day, and it won't have the same impact on your life that being in church will have. It will not. I, that's a promise. Okay, number five. And this gets into what Pastor Bert's been talking about. Watch what you say. Proverbs 18, verse 21, Amplified. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it, for death or life. That's pretty plain. It's also pretty true. Uh, we've all heard people say, oh, I just love that to death. Or, oh, I, 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 I'm just afraid I'm not going to have enough money. Or this or that. They're self-prophesying. They're setting their own destiny by what they say. Why not rather speak what God's Word says 
speak what God's Word says and, and use that to set the direction for your life. Um, I have a little little thing that I say often. And that is where we are tomorrow will depend on the decisions that we make today. Decision does determine destiny. There's no way around it. It's a fact of life. It's how we're created. God expects us to use His words to set the direction for our lives.